Would you pray with me? Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, our great God, whose grace it will take eternity to fully experience, to begin to understand, we ask that that grace would come right now, even now, and open eyes and unstop ears and replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Would you bless this reading, bless this preaching, and bless this living of the gospel of your Son, our great Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Grace. Grace. If you think through uh, the unfolding story of Scripture, it's a story of grace. But it's always unexpected. True grace is always unexpected. It's unexpected in its arrival. Paul says in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners. It's unexpected in its appearance. The prophet Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty that we should look at him, but he was despised and rejected. Grace is unexpected in its message. The last shall be first, the least shall be the greatest. And grace is unexpected in its mission. I'm sending you out, Jesus says, as sheep among wolves. Everything about God's grace is unexpected. And that grace that's unexpected produces unexpected results. Summer, this past summer, 2019, um, was the third installation of the cultural phenomenon known as Stranger Things. Any Stranger Things fans here? Yes, a few nerds. I appreciate that. I have uh, three teenagers, so we're in on everything uh, that Everything that's like that, I, I get pulled into, and lucky for me, I enjoy it. But this Netflix series, Stranger Things, had 40 million homes tuned in to watch it on opening weekend. And if you don't know what it's about, it will sound insane if I try to describe it to you. And so without getting too bogged down um, in trying to explain it to the uninitiated, I'll at least tell you this. It's a story that takes place with childhood friends in the 80s, which is the best decade, um, just musically, not um, clothing-wise. We made some poor choices there, but um, <laughs> involving secret government experiments that unlock a realm known as the Upside Down. Now, things in the Upside Down parallel our reality only without joy, without light, without safety, without fellowship. It's a lonely place, the Upside Down. The Upside Down is a hellish place with dark monsters and little hope. And so here's the connection for us, that all those aspects, those unexpected aspects of God's grace, those things that we hear from Jesus that sound crazy, right? Love your enemies, Pray for your persecutors, turn the other cheek, care for the least of these. Jesus, you sound like an insane person when you preach this way. All of those places where his actions and message appear so out of touch with our human experience. The reason why it feels so odd 
to hear of grace from Jesus is because all we have known is this upside down reality of sin, the darkness of our fallen creation. And we've been in this upside down for so long that God's right side up kingdom looks and feels like insanity to our unrestored hearts and minds. And Mark chapter 5, Jesus is putting God's unexpected grace on full display. And it looks strange. It looks socially inappropriate because all we know, all they know is brokenness and decay. And when Jesus comes with perfect health, he's a stark contrast to everything that we are familiar with on a daily basis. And so as we jump into this story, if you, if you have your Bible, you can look just a verse ahead in chapter 4 as it ends. And Jesus has calmed the raging storm on the sea there, really a big lake. And they say, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? So that's the first point I would like to draw your attention to. And it's kind of embedded in the text that Jesus really didn't go many places alone. He brought his companions with him. But his companions, the guys he gathered around himself, weren't by any stretch of the imagination a group of impressive individuals. They weren't even really capable assistants They weren't the kind of close friends that I would trust with my life. And if you and I were going to plan a movement to take over the world, which we heard about earlier, there are people around the world worshiping Jesus today. If we were going to plan that attack, uh, we wouldn't pick this sort of ragtag group of social misfits. They weren't power brokers. The apostles were more like Jesus' personal band of merry idiots. There were a dozen jesters that he had with him. And so there's your first point as we make our way through this passage, is that Jesus makes friends with people like us. People who are more sure than we have any right to be. People who are more confident in our understanding and abilities than we deserve to be. He can calm a raging storm, and he can also keep his cool with friends who can't seem to fully understand him. And if the church today, not just this church, but my church needs to do this and the capital C church, if we could capture that thought that Jesus makes friends with people like us that are very imperfect, can you imagine how beautifully humble we might look to our culture? Our culture that is awash in disgusting self-justification, in blame-shifting, The best thing that any of us could hope for is the unwavering belief that Jesus knows us fully and yet loves us completely. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just need to be with him where he is. And all of that is implied in the context. And so this little boat comes to rest on the shore of a land that does not think or live like the Hebrew people. These would be the unclean, the Gentiles, the dregs of humanity in Jewish eyes. And as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, who do we meet but this dirty, 
naked, bloody, roided up hobo. Hair would be insane, beard crazy. I mean, imagine a crazy naked man running at you yelling. That's the reality that we're faced with. He smells like death. He's got scabs on him, bruises, the text says. He runs to Jesus. Now, if a man is running at me, I take a defensive position. I don't really know kung fu or uh, what's the old phrase? I don't know karate, but I do know crazy. <laughs> I would try to defend myself or I would flee or I would push the disciples in front and Jesus stands there and keeps his cool. And the man runs and runs at Jesus and when he gets within striking distance, you would expect a, a crazy man that an entire village is terrified of, you would expect him to attack, but he runs and begs to be left alone. That's unexpected. He runs to Jesus covered in desperation and need and he begs to not be bothered. And that's not what we would expect from this man. And so that's the second thing I want to leave you with this morning, is that Jesus came to trouble what it is that's troubling you. The long and short of the interchange that Jesus has with this man is that this is a war, and Jesus is the invader. The language used here is military language that one might overhear in a strategy room. And that's how we should look at this scene. That Jesus has come to fight back and to win back this unclean, enemy-occupied territory. And that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, which is, in fact, the Spirit of Christ, after all. As the Spirit comes, He fills us. He unites us to Christ in His death, in His resurrection, and in His ascension. It's at that moment that the old Adam in us comes under attack. In our cases, it's less likely for personal demons to get shifted into drowning pigs. Uh, but the work of Christ in us by the Spirit is no less shocking than what we see in this text. The sanctifying work of the indwelling Spirit is always commanding our fallen desires, always commanding our lustful wanderings, always commanding our arrogant boasting climb back on the cross, go back into the tomb, be resurrected with Christ, and seated at the right hand of God. The Spirit constantly reminds us that we have been won back. At the same time, He's reminding us of our new resurrection life in Christ's rising and in seating us with Him at God's right hand. And so this life-changing event that we see unfold in Mark 5 with the Gerasenine demoniac, parallels our daily experience with Christ in these four ways. One, when we come to Christ, we come with our own craziness. And we come to Jesus begging and pleading. Two, he receives us as we are, and he removes again the sin that he draws out. Three, he restores us fully. And four, he sends us out singing his praises. And that's our daily experience. Rinse and repeat. And praise God. And it never gets old to us because Jesus never gets tired of saving us. He's really good at it and he loves to do it and he does it well. 
And so the last thing I want to stop and I want you to see here that we, we need to see it more often than we're comfortable with. Jesus is never, ever, ever shocked by our sin. Here in the middle of this unclean land, remember how important cleanliness and, and those laws are for the Jewish people. And here's Jesus, the representative Jew. He goes into an unclean land that's filled with unclean people and with pigs, unclean animals. And he's having a conversation with the nastiest guy in the neighborhood who, by the way, lives in a tomb, unclean. And Jesus is at total peace. This is what we have to understand, that God goes to the darkest, most desperate places because that's where his glory shines the brightest. And yes, it looks crazy to us because we have dwelt so long in the unclean and the upside-down world of our fallen sin that health looks hideous. But Jesus is never put off by your sin. He never gets uncomfortable or weirded out by what's ensnared you or what's enamored you and what that sin has pushed you to do. Sin is like mold. It thrives in cold, dark places like your heart. And if you leave it there, it will grow and spread and choke out all that's good. And the confession of our sin is the only antiseptic to the spread of this disease. And so what we do is we come to Jesus like this crazy man. With all of our darkness and our brokenness, having nothing to hide ourselves with, with our twisted delights. And when we come to Jesus, he never raises his eyebrows in shock. He never furrows his eyebrows in shame to us. But he receives us in our weakness, in our need. God's glory, God's unexpected grace and glory loves to shine in dark places. And this guy was as low and as dark as anyone could ever guess. And so Jesus tracks him down, maybe just to prove the point that no one is too crazy or too broken or too dirty to be made whole. But remember, wholeness and health are off-putting when sickness is your normal. And that's where the passage begins to end, the villagers returning, seeing this boogeyman made whole, and see two clean, normal, well-mannered gentlemen, clothed, having a conversation, and their response, again, is not what we would expect. They're not overjoyed that their community member has been made whole. They're terrified that Jesus ruined 2,000 pigs. And in fear, they ask him to leave. And this is Mark, I think, saying, you tell me, who's the crazy one here? Who's the crazy one? The, the, the man infested with demons who's now made whole or the villagers who want the man who healed him to go away? And that's where we'll end it. That we're almost always more comfortable in our sin than we are with God's unexpected grace. We're almost always more comfortable in our sin than we are with God's unexpected grace. Jesus loves, loves, loves making desperate people in dark places normal. Normal by his grace, despite how crazy he looks in the process. And that's good news to us. It's good news to us 
that are here with such desperate needs, with such uh, shame, with such secrets. And Jesus will receive you if you come to him. He will receive you and pardon you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we see ourselves in this. Some of us are the villagers who uh, are terrified that your grace will cost us more than we are able to part with. Many of us come as uh, people that are haunted, people that have dwelt so long in isolation and fear, hounded by bad memories, hounded by a past that is shameful, and we feel like we would be disregarded by you if we come. Some of us come as disciples, committed disciples, who are still so afraid and confused by you and your grace. And so for all of us who come with so many questions, so many more questions than answers, would you meet us again in your grace and surprise us as you work in us the health of your holiness. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me?